Hello, I'm Dan Hall. Making this show costs money. And if you listen regularly, please consider subscribing to my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. But if you can't afford to, that's no problem. Instead, please recommend the show to a friend or two. Thanks for listening. It's much more complex than just these people are being horrible. Um, they've learned to have those views from somewhere. This is In the Key of Q, featuring queer music, queer chat, and queer stories from around the world. Everyone is welcome to the conversation, whatever beautiful identity pleases you. Music helps us feel connected and know that we are not alone. Do you remember to join the conversation across socials using the hashtag queer music? I'm Dan Hall. Tune in and be heard. This week's guest is singer-songwriter and pianist Tofi Dye. Tofi is originally from Leeds in West Yorkshire, though now lives in South London. At only nine, he taught himself to play the piano, so it's no surprise that he ended up in what is now called the Leeds Conservatoire. In 2021, he released his self-penned debut album, Skeletons, and he joins me now. Tofi, hello! Hello, thank you for having me. Now, we have listeners, Tofi, from all over the world, in fact, in over 75 countries. So for the benefit of those listeners outside the UK, can you tell us a little bit about the Leeds that you grew up in? When I was growing up there, I guess it was a kind of former um, industry town, so city, not town. And and a lot of the um, buildings that had been... uh, connected to that industry were derelict and you know so it was one of those sorts of sorts of of places in the 80s thinking about my own family you know um my dad I remember sort of when I was really little um I don't remember him having a job for a very long time probably until I was in double figures so you know it was very much a thing you know my mum was doing all these kind of you know she was going and working in the local pub she was working in the local video shop you know my dad was kind of constantly applying for things and you know so it felt I remember having a feeling of that you know that it was it was hard to get a job I remember really being blown away by by was Suzanne Vega and that was just I mean, I look back now and I think wonder if it was just the the way it was mixed or something, but there was something about the kind of calmness of her voice and um and it was a song left of center that just um I remember hearing it on the radio and it felt like she was singing just for me. I heard that on the radio, and then probably the next thing would have been Samantha Fox or whatever, and then I just listened to that and I was really I was massively into Sock Eckle and Waterman and and just all all kind of pop stuff. 
In an earlier episode in this series of In the Key of Q, I was speaking with Bright Light, Bright Light, and he talked a lot about how Stock Aitken and Waterman had been hugely influential on him and how he'd enjoyed them, but also about how there was a real snobbery around them. Did you kind of witness that as well? Did you feel ashamed listening to them? Or were you, like me, in fact, and kind of very out and proud and enjoying them? Well, I was to start off with, but I have to, um, well, you know, little... um, spoiler and i'll get to i'll get to it but i did snap my kylie my first kylie album i snapped it into bits and threw it away it got to around about 1990 and um and i'd bought the seven inch of you know with pocket money or whatever of better the devil you know and i was i I was mocked for it at school because they were all listening to like bootlegs of um of rave sets that their older siblings or other people in the area I grew up in um, had 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 given them, and and so they were all kind of into rave music and um, and all that kind of stock. And what stuff was was seen as being really naff, you know. And so that <laughs> that's what caused me to kind of go, oh, you know, I'm, you know, everyone's laughing at me at school. You know, I need to get rid of all this stuff. Was this record destroyed in front of people? as a sort of sign that you were just like them no do you know that would make more sense wouldn't it but it it wasn't and you know to make it even worse i probably destroyed enjoy yourself as well (laughs) so i i think it was it was more like kind of going home and going ah everyone's laughing at me probably in a crying rage our bedrooms and our moments of listening to music are our quiet moments of refuge, especially as kind of Persian and queer people. And to sort of have that space invaded by self-hatred or self-shame uh, must have been horrible. It was literally just, how can I fit in? And so it's more about, um, yeah, he's a bit puffy. He, you know, he likes girly things. He hangs around with girls, that kind of thing. But nobody actually expected to ever meet somebody who actually was attracted to other boys or, you know, or girls, you know. And um, so all of a sudden, or, or, and nobody expected to to feel like that. Well, I'm saying nobody, I'm talking about my own experience, but I can't speak for other people. But, you know, I I didn't expect that. And suddenly, to have those feelings, it, it 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 felt nobody had said that might happen, and suddenly you're feeling that, and you're feeling, and you realise I don't feel like this for girls, and you can't speak about it, and you can't, you know, that makes it very real. It makes it very different, and it, and then at that point, it's not just about I don't fit in because I like things which are you know, not what, quote unquote, you know, boys are supposed to like, you know, I, I, it's it's very different at that point. And then it becomes this big secret. I didn't tell anybody for a long time. To younger queer people listening to this, who might just think, why didn't you tell people? Why did you just keep this inside? What would you say? You know, we had teachers who were openly homophobic in class. You know, I, there was a teacher who said that quote unquote again you know um 
AIDS was created by homosexuals and spread into normal society by bisexuals. And she said that in a PSHE class, you know. And then when all the lads started laughing about it, she sort of made a joke, oh, you were queer basher, you know. And I remember going to a teacher and saying, well, actually, I didn't, I didn't even go to a teacher. What happened was, um, I think I retaliated. or It was very much like, you know, the queer as folk scene where the teacher keeps looking up and they're all whispering things to him. It was queer, it was queer as folk too, I think. And then eventually he goes, piss off. And then the teacher says, that's quite enough from you, Nathan. It was very much like that. So, you know, and I had uh, the, the teacher said, you know, you know, what, what, you know, what's going on here? Well, you know, why we, you know, why were you, um, why did this happen? And he said, is this to do with this silly idea about you being gay? And, you know, and, and even that, you know, I said, well, I, I am, you know, and he said, you're not, you're a 13 year old boy. You're not gay. You're not anything. You just, you know. Um, I think he said you're just doing it for attention or something like that, you know. So that was the head of year, and you know, I, I I'm sure that there are still bad stories, you know. But it really felt like that was, um, it felt like they were kind of in on it, you know. And did your experiences at school have any kind of lasting effect on you? You know, when we talk about bullying, you know, people think about you know stealing your your lunch money and sort of you know sort of Grange Hill type stuff and you know but some of it was like fit you know really quite heavy physical abuse but also when it's not one or two people but it's the sort of entire school and sometimes the neighboring school and you know you've got like you know the I remember it was a parent pulling their kid away from me you know when I was walking home from school and things like that you know I'm still now the sort of person who is seeking approval and seeking to fit in. And I think, um, yeah, I wanted to be light, but also feeling like, it's almost like, you know, there's that scene in Carrie, it's making it very dramatic now, but <laughs> where there's a sort of kaleidoscope <laughs> and there's like, you know, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Trust me, Carrie, you could trust me. But there's, there's like, sometimes when you're, you know, about to go and perform or you're about to go and do an interview or whatever you know um some you know sometimes that's there In 2021, you released your first album, Skeletons, and it's a beautiful album. It really is. You've got so many amazing different styles in there, and it's got a really kind of adult feel to it. It's 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 hard to describe it. It sort of has whispers of Tori Amos, and and just it's it's great because those songs were written um, over quite a long time. Um, but also kind of the earlier sort of period of my ad adult songwriting, because I wrote stuff when I was younger, but you know, they um I'm I'm hard pushed to think of a song where I do use he or him pronouns 
um, when I'm singing about a love interest, because even then, you know, those songs were still, I was still very much like, well, there wasn't really a precedent, you know, because even then, I guess these songs were written in the sort of maybe early to mid noughties. They weren't songs like on the radio or, um, you know, where where men were singing about men or women were singing about women, um, obviously. And so, um, so I would like to think, you know, as I kind of progress that I, you know, my identity will be more present in my music and I, you know, it will, I mean, it, it's there, you know, but I've just started working on the second album and, you know, those songs, I am singing, you know, lines like, um, I found another man or, you know, I'm, I'm you know, where it, it's not ambiguous and I'm not, you know, um, worried and I think there was also an element that, you know, some of these songs, you know, I was living with my parents until I was uh, 19 and I, I was quite a prolific writer. I mean, I, I wrote a lot of stuff in my teens and the only way I could get it down was to record it, to, you know, to a tape recorder. And so, you know, it was the thing of, I don't want to be overheard, you know, if I'm singing, I, lo I love him or whatever. I have your love on region one Keep all of your texts Analyze them to death But insistence is futile If you're determined to go So my dad and me had quite a complicated uh, relationship, and and whilst there were many things about him which I guess were an influence. I mean, he he played music for a start, which I think I thought that everybody's dad played guitar because I think we all think that everybody's parents do whatever our parents do when we're little. Um, but he played guitar. He had lots of kind of books, you know, exercise books lying around with kind of guitar tabs. And in fact, you know, there was a point where we used to um, play music together. Um, and I, I wouldn't, I mean, I was always obsessed with the piano and I think I would have made my way to a piano eventually anyway. But my dad um, was also, he was an alcoholic. Um, he He died... I think he was 49 when he died. So, you know, he, he was very young when he died. And um, and he was kind of a bit Jekyll and Hyde. So, you know, we had a, a difficult relationship. And I, and I think, you know, now it's very easy to look back and, and understand all of that and perhaps have a bit more um, empathy, you know. But, but, but at the time, you know, you're a child and you're just, trying to it, well it's, it's not your job to you know to empathize it is their job to, to to be a parent and and he he wasn't up to it at, at that time and he bought a keyboard when he was um well I'm assuming he was drunk <laughs> but it was an impulse buy he didn't actually play keyboards at all so my mum played Mary Hell because it was a bit like you know what have you spent money on this 
for <laughs> we've got two kids to feed kind of thing. Do you think something at the back of his head was going, I can't play this, but I've got this magical kid in the house who's got this fairy dust skill? I mean, it's possible. Thinking back, I mean, I I used to pretend I was playing a piano and I'd sit at like a desk and I'd make the sounds and I'd just kind of go, no, 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 you know, whilst pretending to play the piano. Um, so I had a, an obsession for some reason with 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 pianos. So maybe, and also I used to make up songs even though I had nothing to play them on. Um, so it, it, it could have been, you know, that I'd kind of put that out there. There's a silly sunset in your eyes Mine are a watermark Of the times that I've cried When he died, we hadn't spoken for a couple of years. We all have difficult times. I've had difficult times and, and I... I've not necessarily always taken it on myself. I'm sure it's impacted on other people when, you know, I've had um, my own mental health issues. And and so now I sort of maybe feel a bit more compassionate. I don't kind of want to go into too much. But he did have a rifle that he kept by the bed. There was a day when he came in very calmly and said, um, say goodbye to the cat because she won't be alive in the morning and then just shut the door and went back out holding the rifle, you know, and it was that, that's just a snapshot, but it, you know, it was that very calm, calm kind of abuse, really. You have an incredible amount of empathy, which seems to, to some extent, displace fury. How, have you always been that empathetic? Is it a thing that naturally songwriters are good at? Well, thank you. I, I, I think some of it is just trying to understand what somebody's motive is. And um, I'm not for one minute equating this with, you know, um, people who have been held captive or, or whatever, but, you know, you do read about or see in documentaries people saying that, you know, people try to understand the... Um, what's going on in the, in the head of their captors. And, and in doing that, if you do work out, okay, the reason why they're doing this is because they're damaged because of this or because, you know, you're trying to get to the root of it because you're trying to work out, is it my fault? Is there something I can do to change it? And, 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 and in the process of doing that, it's very hard not, then not to have empathy if you have kind of got yourself into their head and worked out, you know, what, what was it that is, is has caused them to act in this way. You know, people who are homophobic have been brought up in a world which um, tells them that that's, that's how things are and that, you know, and they don't get anything out of it either. Um, and, uh, and once you kind of see that, it, it's much more complex than just these people are being horrible. Um, they've learned to have those views from somewhere. And so it's much, it's a much deeper issue than tackling individual, that individuals being bad people. To ground your
I see that you've worked with Seventh Heaven, the remixes, which is incredibly impressive because, if I'm not mistaken, they've remixed for Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Kylie, Rihanna. I mean, these aren't small names. How how did you come across them? Do you know, it was really a case of um, ask and ye shall receive because um, it was during lockdown um, which probably is why a lot of us <laughs> did a lot of things that maybe we would say we would tell ourselves no to somehow, you know, being cocooned and just being with your own head and your own, you know, uh, there was nothing to lose. Um, I just emailed them and I sent them marmalade and they just said, yes. Um, they said they liked it and, and they remixed it and it, and it was amazing. And um, receiving a seventh heaven remix is like, the excitement of it because also you know i mean for the most part i produced everything myself along with my co-producers and you know you know you know what it's going to sound like because you're working on it yourself but to send something off and just um you don't know what they're going to do with it and then it arrives and you but you know you know what they're capable of and you know what you know you know it's going to be good um it's, it's just so exciting so, Tofi, when we finish these interviews, I take it into the edit and cut stuff down and cut bits in and out. But the whole point of this podcast is to give queer artists a voice and a platform to be heard. So for the next two minutes, you can talk about whatever you want, and I promise I won't get out the edit at all. I'll leave in all the coughs and all the hiccups. So <laughs> the clock will start as soon as you do. You can talk about whatever you want. I guess maybe what I'm doing next. So I've got um yeah i'm gonna talk about me so i so i've got um the uh the next seventh heaven things coming out and then i've just recorded a couple of other side uh projects so i've the main thing is for me is to kind of keep things coming out whilst i'm working on something more substantial so this week i started working on the second album um so you should start to see songs from that coming out probably the back end of next year or um or the year after so that's really exciting and um i will be working with the same people that worked on skeletons but i think we've got a bit of a change in sound and um uh so that's yeah that's quite exciting um and and i don't know beyond that because i think it is like i say about that treadmill that once you um once you start releasing things you have you know you have to make decisions about what's going to land best next what's the best decision um for you next so i'd also like to do some more live stuff so hopefully um it'd be good to start getting out there and start performing more because i haven't been able to do much of that for the last few years as well um but that is that's kind of what's coming up and be and that's what's coming up and beyond that um I want to be a bit like, you know, those singer-songwriters who just have like 16 albums to their name and, you know, I, I just like to keep on releasing things and just have things that people can just kind of dip into and just 
kind of either listen to the whole thing or pick out the odd track or whatever. Um, but what's been really exciting over the last couple of years is just being able to just do something different, doing a couple of dance remixes, you know, and just dipping my toe into a different world. I think I'd like to also kind of have that running along parallel as well and just keep on doing some perhaps more upbeat stuff and and just um just kind of keeping it really eclectic i ripped up my diary so no one would find the wrong and disgusting things in my mind and i was never in the popular crowd but i tried to So then, Tofi, what do you think your 15-year-old self would think of you? Oh, do you know, I am in touch with probably all, all of my selves <laughs> over the years. Um, because I, when I sort of remember things, I, I, I do feel like I remember things in a completely... Um, full way so i you know I, I don't have a memory and it's just kind of misty around the edges like it's almost like i shut my eyes and i'm there you know and i i can see what i'm seeing and think what i'm thinking and everything else so i so it, so it, it doesn't feel like 15 year old me is is that far away um i think he would be shocked he is he is shocked <laughs> um that i'm uh, not that I'm still here, but I think that it would never occur to me at 15 that I'd be living in London, um, you know, by myself, um, financially, I, supporting myself, you know, and um, making music. I mean, I think I think on a very simple level, 15-year-old Tofi would be um, impressed that I've got a full-size um, keyboard you know full-size digital piano in the living room and another one in the bedroom you know and just things like that i think you'd just be like god you know how how did i get here this isn't my beautiful wife (laughs) now then tofi before we sign off what one other queer artist do you think we should be listening to or even get as a guest on the show? Oh, well, you've already got Conliff. Um, I would... There's somebody that I've been listening to a lot recently. She's called Sarah Rose. Um, and she was also another um, uh, artist, at, uh, another night, of uh, Conliff's night that he was doing it above the stag before, before it closed. Um, and she does piano based music as well. Um, so I would check her out. Um, um, and key tracks, I'd say no emotions, which has just come out and, um, tell me you feel nothing is my absolute favorite. So I definitely check her out and I'm going to squeeze in too, if I may. <laughs> you may. <laughs> I didn't even wait for permission to die. I just went to um, <laughs> And uh, I, Laura DeBelder as well, who is um, a um, 
uh, sort of jazz vibes and a bit R&B and, and really kind of cool. And um, so I'd pick her as well. Now then, Tofi, we've been listening to your songs all the way through this episode, but we've saved the best or last. This is where I ask you to wrap up the episode with your Gateway song. And the Gateway song is a track to introduce people who don't know you to your catalogue and will act as a glorious, glorious gateway into everything you've got to offer. What would your Gateway song be and why? It would be the seventh heaven remix of uh i would be your child tonight the radio edit version because um it's very much whilst it's it, it's a remix it, it very much um uh stays true to the original feel of of the song they've you know they've kept the there's piano in there there's the monks in there which is me <laughs> multi-layered over um to sound like monks um and it's, it's dark, you know, I think, I think it shows how it displays my, you know, my songwriting, I think really well, but also I just think it, it's also a bit of a banger. And I, <laughs> and I think, um, you know, it's, it's a good way to kind of hear how I sometimes push the envelope a bit with my writing, but in quite a dance floor friendly way.
If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's episode, there are suggested support links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode. Remember, you can support In the Key of Q via Patreon or alternatively, spread the word to a couple of friends. The opening theme is by Paul Lee Nidu at unstoppablemonsters.com with press and PR by Paul Smith. Help others to discover new queer music by giving the show a review where you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Murray Lang for his continued support. And of course, thanks to Tofi Dai for being such a great guest today. Tofi, thank you very much. Thank you. This show was made at Pup Media. I'm Dan Hall. Go listen to some music, and I'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>